This sports social podcast is brought to you by BetVictor, where live streams, smart stats, and in-play betting can help you make your best bet yet. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. back my friends to the podcast that never ends yes this is the blue day podcast and for chelsea fans everywhere every day is a blue day and i am your host keith lawrence and joining me this week is adam robinson from the eastern blue supporters club he's back on the show this week and we are going to talk there's only one thing to talk about we are going to talk about the match that happened over the weekend between chelsea and tottenham battle at the bridge part two We're going to talk about that. We are hopefully not going to make it too much about the snake of a ref that is Anthony Taylor. Adam, welcome back on the show. Firstly, how are you? And secondly, have you stopped swearing after the football yet? Hi, Keith. I'm good, thanks, mate. And you? I'm uh, relatively okay. My mood will probably change once we talk about the fiasco that happened yesterday. But I want to sort of try and get both sides to the story if possible sometimes there's three sides to the story but we will talk about sort of the referee we'll talk about Tottenham but also we'll sort of talk about how we played as well but you went to the game Adam unfortunately I was preoccupied but you went to the game just firstly before we talk about the match itself for the first home game of the season where a lot of expectation and a lot of hope and hype what was the atmosphere like I thought it was really good. It's probably the, one of the best atmospheres that the bridge has been for quite some time, I would say. Um, you know, you also have always got the, the sort of, the, well, Matthew Harden and the shed, like sort of creating a bit of atmosphere. But sometimes, yeah, like against your teams, you know, your mid-table teams, you struggle. And But yesterday was really, you know, really good atmosphere. Obviously, first game of the season, sun's out. Everybody's been in the pub and had a couple of beers probably before they went in. And um, but yeah, everybody was up for it, which was great. And where did you sit? What stand was you in for this one? Yeah, it was in the shed lower. So um, we sort of had about 35 of us went down and most of us were in the shed lower together. So that was quite good. Nice. So we're going to talk about the the game briefly and then we'll talk about certain incidences and certain players. But you talk about the atmosphere. There was a few games that I went to last season where the atmosphere was very dull and there was a lot of moans and groans about how we was playing or the style of football. For it being the first game of the season, and first home game of the season, excuse me, did you sort of see any difference in how we played or how we set up from last season, albeit with certain new players that have come in and players that have 
left the club. Yeah, I think like even going back like even one week to to Everton, you know, like um, when we was in the pub and you see the lineup come out, everybody's like, well, are we going as a four? You know, you've got Loftus Cheek who came on Everton, uh, you know, in the right wing back position initially, and it's like, is he going to play there again ahead of like you know, James obviously dropped into the three instead of Aspie or. Are we going to go as a four? But I think that worked quite well down the right-hand side, to be fair, with um, Reese and Loftus-Cheek combining. It was sort of, we got quite a lot of joy down there, sort of especially in the first half of the game. Um, so I think that worked really well. Um, yeah, and I think that, you know, um, the new signings as well, like Kulabayi, uh, um, he was, I thought, great, you know. It's going to take a little bit of time obviously, to adjust like anybody will do to the to the Premier League. But I thought he actually had a good game. He's obviously not afraid to have a go either, which is sometimes one of Chelsea's downfalls. We, you know, we never actually just have a shot. And, uh, you know, obviously what a great volley he scored as well for the first game. Fabulous finish, wasn't yeah, it? I mean, yeah, a striker yeah. would have loved that. Exactly. Maybe we should give him a number nine shirt and put him up front. No, because we would have cursed him. If we give him the number nine shirt, he'll, he'll end up having a dry spell and he won't score for two. Um, <laughs> I was impressed with Kulabaya yesterday. I was watching it on the telly. He's not a Rudiger. He's completely different to him. But I think him and Silva have got a good understanding already. But mm-hmm. I can see why Chelsea are trying to get another central defender because both don't have blistering pace, especially if a ball's going behind them. There was a few times yesterday when, in particular, when Kane was pretty much 1v1, it was just a hopeful ball gone gone up. Kane's gone in between them. Thankfully, he scuffed it, weren't even a shot on target. But things like that, I think, against the top sides, we could have a problem with, which is probably one of the reasons why he's going for Fafana as well. But Koulibaly, so far... I'd say is a very decent replacement for Rudiger at this moment in time. What, Adam, if you, obviously you just had a, a good view being in the shed lower. What did you make of Cucurella's performance? Because a lot of money was spent on him over, the total fee could rise up to over 60 million. A lot of people I've spoken to on social media yesterday and today are a little bit concerned that not for him, but for Ben Chilwell, bearing in mind that Cucurella could be the permanent left wing back, or could he drop into the the free defence and have Ben Chilwell at left wing back? What did you make of Mark's performance? Yeah, I think he had a good game as well, to be fair. And I'd sort of agree that, especially as Chilwell still sort of like seems to be regaining his match fitness, you know, he's obviously featured a bit, but not for the full 90 minutes yet. I think um, it's going to give him a chance to sort of almost sustain his position potentially in that left wing back role. And if he doesn't put a foot wrong, it's sort of almost an argument when, you know, why change it unless there's a reason to. Um, obviously Chilwell's a great player as well and he's obviously been unfortunate with his injury and you know missed quite a bit of last season um, but I think you know again yesterday and at Everton I think um, he had he had a really good you know good game when he when he played and yeah I, I think he's a good sign and to be fair and certainly if he can drop into the three as well then that just gives us another option doesn't it if we need to yeah and it's going to be interesting as well with him he was great going forward but it's even quite telling the fact that he's actually not bad coming back either. It's not like, with all due respect, a Marcus Alonso or an Emerson who is better going forward than dropping back. 
Cucurella can do both. So far, he can do both, and he did work well with that at Brighton. But you mentioned Loftus-Cheek on the right wing-back role, and he actually had a very good game, and a lot of people praised him for his performance. Do you think that could be maybe a more permanent position for Ruben? Because we've seen people like Victor Moses become a right wing-back. We saw Pedro fill in that role as well. Could we maybe? Do you think we could see Loftus-Cheek in there? Because really, as a midfielder, with the other options we've got, I don't think he's going to get much game time in the central midfield role. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because like, there's not many players you pick over Reece James in that position. You know, um, even though obviously again he can drop into the sort of the three like he did yesterday. But yeah, I think like I said, Loftus Cheek had a great game. But whether or not you'd play him there all the time, that probably depends who you're going to be playing. Um, you know, in different tactical situations, but. Yeah, on yesterday's performance, obviously great. Um, but I still think Reese James has got to be really commanding that that role. To be fair, up and down the um, the wing on the right hand side for us. Now, if we go into midfield, Mount, who it's it does amaze me sometimes when Mason Mount's name comes up. Some people who are not Chelsea supporters think he's rubbish. Chelsea supporters obviously think differently. But Mount's performances. He hasn't taken games by the scruff of the neck, not for a long, long time. And I was expecting big things from him this season. You look at the situation now with him. He's not hes not the young boy that came through under Lampard anymore. He's matured. He's grown up. What did you make of his performance? Did you feel, was you expecting a little bit more from him, albeit being the first home game? Or do you think that as the season wears on, he'll get himself more fluid in the way Tuchel's playing? Yeah, I think that's a difficult one, isn't it? I think everybody's got obviously massive hopes and it's sort of been banded around as potential future captain because he, you can see on the pitch, he obviously lives and breathes Chelsea, like no matter what his sort of performance is like, but he's the first one in there to get involved if something's happening or to stick up for his teammates. And, you know, you can tell he obviously loves loves the club. But um, And I guess it's a bit of a cliche in a way. You can think, you know, and that's the same for a lot of players, but he's played a lot of games over the last sort of 18 months. Obviously, uh, <laughs> And I don't think maybe he maybe isn't probably performing to the level that we maybe would expect quite, you know, I'm not saying he's playing badly, but I'm sure there is more to give as we go on through the year for him. Um, but yeah, uh, I think he's he's obviously one of our, you know, how would I put it? I guess he's like one of our sort of, um, you know, he's come through the academy, you know, he, he sort of is Mr. Chelsea really in a way. If you look at, at the squad that we've got now, we've had like a lot of people sort of come and go and there's obviously still a few that have been there for a long time, but it, it's almost like yesterday you can see that message to the players that got in to them that, um, you know, this is a big game. Like we need to, we you know, you can't lose basically this game because it's, it's Tottenham and they're one of our rivals. And like he, to me, would be one of the people who would be like banging that, you know, sort of drum in the dressing room to instill it into the people who have just joined into the squad. So, yeah, you know, I'm sure there is more, there's more to come there, but I think what he adds to the other side of it as well is, is massive. Would you say that he's this generation's version of a John Terry? And what I mean by that is how John was as a player. And for those that were lucky enough to see him live, he was a warrior in defence, but he wasn't just a defender. He was also a leader of men. And he would rile up the players. He would under he would get the players pretty much locked together and go, this is what it means to Chelsea. This is what 
Chelsea is all about. Do you think Mason can maybe be that guy that Chelsea need? Because when John Terry left, it was a case of who's there now to be that Mr. Chelsea. Do you think Mason could be that particular person? Yeah, I think he's definitely got the sort of credentials to become someone like that. Obviously, you know, John obviously is, you know, arguably the great, you know, one of the boys, well, definitely one of the greatest ever players to play for Chelsea. And, you know, what he'd done for the club, obviously, probably it's going to be hard to replicate for anybody, anybody else. But um, I'm I'm sure that, you know, I think Mason's definitely got the potential there to, to go on and become like a, a big leader and a big influence in the dressing room and, and also like a link between the, almost like the team and, and and the fans in a way, you know, like he gets Chelsea, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You can see it on the pitch, you know, like, okay, so, you know, sometimes doesn't go to plan, you know, some matches, but he'll still come over and like, will appreciate like the fans being there and supporting the team. And he, he gets, I think he's like, you know, it feels like he's one of us, if, if you know what I mean, in a way. Yeah, I agree with that. And it, you just have to sort of look at, his profile, you know, when you've seen pictures of him in the old Chelsea centenary kit when he was, you know, watching Chelsea as a, a as a kid growing up and then he come up through the academy. Hopefully we'll see more of people like Mason Mount. I know you've got Harvey Vale, just for example, coming through as well. He's doing quite well in the academy. One player who we signed in the summer that some people a little bit sceptical on because of where he's going to fit in. Raheem Sterling, two games now, hasn't scored. He's, he had a wonderful chance yesterday, which he blazed over. I still don't know how he blazed it over because it was harder to miss. But how do you think he's fared, Raheem Sterling? Because didn't pay a lot of money for him, considering how much he's won and where he's come from. But do you think Raheem's added a little bit extra that we've perhaps been lacking from last season? I think in the current situation, we, we you know we haven't got a you know we've got Brozier, but we haven't got a sort of first team recognised twenty goal a year man at the moment, have we? You know, and it's um, we've got to look look elsewhere for goals, um, and he's definitely going to add you know goals to the to the tally. Um, you know, he's proven that wherever he's been, Liverpool, Man City, um, that he can do that. Obviously for England as well. So I think he definitely adds to it. This is going to be interesting how we obviously make it. We've got a lot of players who can play in in those positions. You know what I mean? So it's how Tuchel's going to make it work is going to be interesting and probably try and keep them all happy. Um, so rather him than me on that one. But um, yeah, I, I think you know definitely a good sign. And for like you say, what we didn't we didn't break the bank for him. You know, compared to some money that has been banded about for other players. So I think definitely worth worth um, what was paid for him, and, and definitely will add to the team. Now looking at the tactics that was implemented by Tuchel, I thought the way we played, there was some lovely stuff between between defence and attack. You know how quick we played the ball and we used the width quite well. But we scored first with Kulabai and we looked quite comfortable with the 1-0 lead. We looked quite in control. And then we're going to talk about the first incident now. Where you was in the shed lower, I'm assuming you was probably one of nearly 40,000 that thought it was a foul by Benton Core on Kai Havertz. And then subsequently, later on, in different phases of play, Tottenham would score. Did you think at that point that the game changed and the atmosphere changed to the point where it was becoming quite hostile a little bit? Because when I was watching it on the telly, I had it quite loud. The atmosphere was 
bubbling just a little bit to the extreme a little bit because of Anthony Taylor's incompetence again. And even with the linesman, because the linesman had, a for me, a better view of that challenge than Anthony Taylor. Anthony Taylor only saw Benton Core win the ball, but he didn't see the the follow-through. He didn't see the other leg catch Kai to the point where that's where Kai got fouled. But the linesman's right on the other side. He's got it. He can clearly see. Didn't raise his flag at all. What is the point of having the linesman there? The other points I wanted to sort of raise to you, Adam, and I'll get your thoughts on it. When the ball's then played towards the box, Jorginho has the ball and he tries to do a, a back flick or some kind of stupid bloody flick in his own box. Why, I have no idea. And then when Hoiberg shoots, Richarlison is in an offside position. He's partly in line with Mendy's, blocking Mendy's view. And lo and behold, the goal was given. What was your instant reaction from that? And then have you seen the images or the videos back? And do you still stand by your initial thoughts on it? Yeah, I think at the time you think it's a definite foul. You know, he looks like he just sort of was, like say, taking him out basically. Um, even though he looks like, you know, like I say to Taylor, maybe it looks like he did get the ball from where, from where he was because the ball obviously changed direction. You know, with the contact type of thing, but it's definite foul. Um, yeah, what Jorginho was doing, who knows? Lucky. <laughs> It's a bit of a different level, but when I was at school and you played football, you always got told, if in doubt, get it out, basically, yeah. you know, so you don't start messing around with it in your 18-yard box, you know. When, you would um, never it, see a Man City or a Liverpool player do that. No, it's just... And that's the difference that we're talking about in terms of standards and in terms of what, what makes you a winner to then that. And the, yeah. fact that he, and the fact that he was being pressed anyway from behind, he had a Tottenham player behind him, he's trying to drag the ball back, surely somebody would have called and said, don't bloody do that, just oof the, the poxy thing. I just thought it was mind-boggling why he did that. All he had to do was maybe do a, a, a side pass to Silva or whoever. It was, from watching it on the telly, it was a very, very strange decision. And even when he did lose the ball, his late reaction to close Hoiberg down. Yeah, uh, I, I, like I've obviously I've watched you know today or match today, and and you get you, you know you get a better view of course on the on the TV, but it's still you still can't work out what he was going through his mind, like how he thought he was going to get out of that situation by doing that. When like you say he was under obviously pressure from sort of a couple of Tottenham players, and just seems a bit of a strange decision to try and pull something off like that. Okay, fair enough. If you're in the other opponent's box, like you know, or in the in the sort of um, final third of the pitch, but not when you're in your own, uh, you know, 18-yard box under pressure. Um, but yeah, I think when it comes to Richarlison, you can sort of like, a, you know, they're trying to say, oh, okay, he could see, uh, Mendy could see the ball, but actually, okay, he might have seen the ball when it was actually struck, but as soon as the direction of the ball then goes towards the, um, to the corner of the goal, that's when Richarlison's blocking it. So effectively, he can't track that ball for like, have many, you know, one second or whatever it was when it, but that's like a, in, football and, and the pace it's played that's a long time isn't it that for that split second he loses sight of the ball when it goes obviously behind Richarlison and then they obviously score so to my mind obviously you've you've got the foul okay you could argue that that you know was 45 seconds whatever it was before the um before the goal went in but then you've got um you know 
the the offside as well. So how they can sort of both be missed is a bit a bit boggling, especially when it was you know supposed to be reviewed by the, the VAR. You, you think what's the you know what is the point of them if they're not going to pick up sort of obvious decisions like that really? And why didn't Anthony Taylor if he knew that there was an issue? Because you saw as soon as Conte went nuts, and we'll talk about that later, when he went nuts for the equaliser and then Chelsea got two cool and his staff got pissed off, you can tell that even by watching it on telly, there was something wrong, that the referees made a mistake. Why didn't he go into the touch side monitor? I have no idea. And even Mike Dean, who was in charge of VAR, again, he's another controversial name that should have retired years ago, but he's still in the bloody game. Um, They just saw nothing wrong with it. Just didn't see nothing wrong with it. And at that point, you're thinking, here we go again. Yeah, you're right, aren't you? Like, basically, if you think about it, you, you can sort of tell, you know, obviously, okay, people will appeal for things that they think they might have a chance of getting, but they know that they don't deserve, you know. But you could tell by the reaction of, obviously, the players and, and obviously the staff and stuff that there was something, obviously, not quite right in that, yeah. you know, given of that goal. So, as you would think as a <laughs> sort of, hopefully a reasonably intelligent human being, you would think, well, maybe I should go and check that. You've got the resources there to go and do it. You know, a drop of a hat, you can go and watch it. And even if he then decides, okay, that that's fine, at least he's satisfied himself that he thinks that's correct. If if you know what I mean, rather than it's almost like, uh, he, he it's obviously, yeah, it's quite obvious that it's not correct because obviously the reaction. So why not go and check? Well, that's and what just, he's there for, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and obviously he should be guided by, you know, if he, thinks it's right and obviously in his head or whatever, but he should be guided by obviously Mike Dean to say, you know, you should go and review that. You know, if, if he doesn't want to make that call himself, then go and ask him to have a look himself. And at least at that point, even though we're, we're not going to agree with it, but at least you would feel a bit more satisfied that he's actually thought about it and checked. It. Do you know what I mean? Rather than well, it just feels... He's done his job properly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because it's not like, you know, okay, it's it's obviously like we've we've dropped two points. But at the end of the season, you don't know what a difference. Obviously, it's a long way to go yet to be talking about that. But you don't know what two points could be the difference between at the end of the season, do you? You know, and over the course of the season, maybe it may evens itself out. I don't know. We can only hope. But we'll talk um, about the ramifications of it sort of afterwards because this isn't the first time we've conceded in injury time at home. But Euphoria struck. James scored a cracking goal. It's a good sort of piece of play by Chelsea when we we would win the ball in Spurs' half and we were quickly to switch the play and James was in a great position. Sterling caught him out quite well. When the goal went in, just absolute carnage in terms of fans going nuts and James went into the corner flag, sorry, into the corner of the Matthew Harding. Thomas Tuchel looks like he was good about to join him. Everything just went crazy. Did you have a good view of that goal and how big of a confidence boost is that for James, bearing in mind that he did, for much of last season, miss it due to injury? Yeah, obviously we're, we're at the other end. You still can see that, he, you know, it was a great move and he took he finished it well, you know. Um, and I think, it's, you know, we were talking about Sterling's contribution as well. OK, he didn't score that goal, but he played sort of a big part in it as well, you know, like a nice ball that he laid off for James to finish. Um, but yeah, everybody went nuts. Everybody's hugging each, you know, because it's like uh, after what had happened a little while ago, you know, it's um, you're now in two you one, and you justice sort justice of, has been done. Yeah, 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 and you're feeling like you know we're actually playing quite well, and you know we could actually go on. You're going to go on and hopefully win this game now. Um, 
but yeah, I think obviously I do James, you know, James are well to good um, to, to score, you know, to score. And hopefully that's going to be one of many this season. He seems to have, um, you know, be struggling a bit with his um, set piece and stuff like going back. To last, I know we're review, reviewing um, Spurs today, but like going back to last week at Everton, some of the corners and stuff and uh, that he was taking, you think, you know, that they're not, they were sort of hitting the first man quite a lot or, you know, a couple, they just went over the last man. So, um, you know, hopefully it'll just boost his confidence a bit and, because he's got a terrific right foot, you know, and, and some of the free kicks he has scored and stuff like that um, is, yeah, and crosses he's put in for, and stuff like that. He's um, a top player, but I hope he'll just give him a little bit of a, you know, confidence boost to go on and get a few more goals because we're going to need them from from all over the pitch this year. Yeah, and as you say, because the fact we haven't got a striker, you're looking at where else can we get the goals. Havertz is not a centre-forward. That's been evident for the for a while now I don't think Sterling's one that can lead the line he's a he's a good player he can contribute to goals but he's not a centre forward and then you're looking at who else can come in with rumours of Ziyech on his way out Hudson Adore on his way out Christian Pulisic it seems is not in favour you know are we looking at Jorginho being in double figures for penalties and then <laughs> Chilwell and James scoring from fullback so Chelsea are 2-1 at this point. You're thinking this is going to be a great result. We've put Tottenham in their place because Tottenham normally get battered everywhere they go. And nice then, the contro- then, then the controversy starts. Then the, then the issues start. Before we do discuss that, Kante came off. He was forced off with an injury. From the early prognosis, it don't seem to be a good one. There seems to be a little bit he could be out for a few weeks at least. Um, Conor Gallagher came on. He got a good reception from the Stamford Bridge crowd, which was great to see. If Kante is out for a long time, do you think Conor can step up and be take his place, or are you expecting maybe Chelsea to fast track this potential Frankie De Jong deal? I think Gallagher can, you know, Gallagher. Sorry, had a great season, you know, with Palace. Obviously, slightly different, t- you know, obviously different setup there, but. Um, I certainly think he can step into the team given the chance. I think, you know, and the right, you know, the if a little bit of luck and stuff like that and thing, things go well, I think he can certainly become a good player and add, you know, add a bit to our sort of, especially go, to us going forward as well. Um, because, you know, arguably, obviously, sometimes you think maybe he should play instead of Jorginho in certain games, but obviously it's Kante's one who's gone out injured, but it, we don't always need to be so defensive sometimes. I think like you've got those two, then it's good maybe just to switch it up a little bit and sometimes bring someone who's slightly more attacking minded and looking forward rather than, you know, more so on Jorginho's side, but looking forward rather than sideways or, or backwards, you know, and trying to just break open or play between the lines and, um, you know, actually take us forward a bit of a quicker pace. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's good that he's he's come back in and, and I think it's it's great that we've kept him this season or it looks like we're going to obviously keep him for this season, you know, um, and give him a chance to... Um, because if they're not given a chance, then we're never going to know, are we, you know, in a way. So um, you, you've got to give them the opportunity if they look like they're ready to, to then perform and then that's up to them if they take it or not, isn't it, you know? And there's obviously been ones in the past that haven't taken it and been given lots of chances. But, um, yeah, I think hopefully he will take his chance and become a regular and you know or feature in the in the first team squad regularly hmm. now we'll move on to the bit where I didn't really want to go to but we have to discuss it the equalizer now 
again, you was in the shed, so this was in your end. <coughs> Before I start effing and jeffing, even, even thinking about what that snake of a ref did, did you notice at any point, did you feel at any point between where you was and then obviously when the goal happened that there was an issue between Romero and Cucurella and then the referee stopped it? Did you feel something was happening? Because initially on the, on the telly, there seemed to have been like a, a potential VAR review because they were saying Cucurella first fouled Romero. So they were looking at a possible penalty. Then they were looking at a possible foul the other way. Was there a lot of confusion at the ground from that because of this, the issue? And again, we, we talked about it earlier. Why didn't he go to the pitch side monitor? If he knew there was something wrong, why didn't he go in to have a look? But initially, did you notice anything weird or strange that was going on before the subsequent corner that the goal took place? Uh, it's all, you know, you can see obviously there's a lot of, uh, you know, argy-bargy going on, but it's quite difficult to see, like, when you're looking, we was, like, right around the, almost like the west, you know, corner of the shed, so we're, like, on that wrap brown bit, so you're looking across, obviously there's lots of players in the, in the sort of line of sight, but, yeah, the, once they went to VAR to review it, you've got no really idea what they're reviewing, because they don't tell you, do they? There's, like, I think it said review for possible firm I think it said violent. I did think to say violent conduct, but it doesn't tell you who it's against or, you know, what, what they're actually checking for. And that's one of the good things, isn't it? If, if they actually mic'd up the referees, you know, so you can actually hear what they're discussing. In the stadium, you, you're sort what of like treated. Rugby. Yeah, yeah. It in works. the stadium. <laughs> you feel like you're almost treated like a sort of second class citizen, you know, on the TV. Obviously, you know, they probably, you could see clearly, couldn't you, obviously, what they were reviewing. And they're probably showing like replays. Well, I'm sure they were showing replays of it and stuff they like that. They showed but... a few replays. They they only showed replays of obviously the hair pull, which yeah, I think yeah. Cucurella's now bald from the amount of bloody <laughs> hair that was being pulled from him. But they were only showing that. But they also showed the referee's position and the fact that he's looking, whether he's staring at it or whether he's actually looking at it is that. I get that there could be two different things, but the fact of the matter is that his body line, his body shape is in line with the contact, the contact that's happening. Anywhere else on the pitch, that's a free kick. Anywhere else on, <laughs> anywhere else in the street, that's, you know, you can, you can get arrested for that sort of stuff. But according to the snake of a ref and Mike Dean in VAR, that's apparently acceptable now. On a football pitch, it was it was bizarre to watch on telly, and bear in mind what minute it was. I think it was like the ninety sixth, even I think maybe the ninety seventh minute. The corner comes in, and Kane scores from it, and you just felt at that point very deflated. But obviously, subsequently, what happened afterwards with Conte, whether he overreacted or not, that's another topic. But You've watched it back, Adam. I can't describe it without swearing too much, but how can you describe from what you saw as why that snake didn't give it as a foul? I think that's like the impossible question, isn't it? Like, you can, you know, when you say I've watched it back today and you can clearly see that he's, you know, looking in that direction, he's looking right at it. Um, So, and 
to come out. I think I don't know who's where it's come from today, but they're coming out and saying, well, hair pulling isn't in the in the rules. Well, okay, yeah, I heard that. You know, neither is punching someone in the face, probably. But if you do that, you're going to get a red card. You know, so it's like if you walked out, as you just said, if you walked out and done it in the street, then someone could probably have you up for assault. So why is it allowed on the football pitch? You know, and I think going back. Was it Robert Huth got done uh, retrospectively for it? Obviously, a few years ago, I think was it on Fellaini, That's I believe, right, yeah. or something like yeah. that. So why, you know, the rules haven't changed as far as I'm aware since. I'm not sure what year that was. Obviously, a few years ago now, but the rules haven't changed between, uh, you know, then and now. So why is was it a foul? And obviously, the FA to retrospectively punish someone for it. You know, it was looked at obviously in probably detail then. So how does that change? You know, apart from supposedly we're supposed to have better technology and, and obviously these things to processes to capture mistakes and stuff like that. So how do we end up with a worse, you know, with a uh, an incorrect decision uh, in in this day and age like that? I, I don't know. But I think when you when you sort of go back, you know, let's go past that court, you know, that corner obviously should have been a, a free kick to us, obviously, and a, and a red card. Then then obviously we clear it probably and, and the game's over. But Obviously, it didn't happen that way. And as a corner, and it's almost like we sort of, and I guess you can see why, you know, it's like Chelsea almost switched off for a minute, probably with what happened. You know, everybody's obviously sort of tempers are quite high and stuff. And it's almost like we just switched off. And you're looking as like a couple of Spurs players who almost just didn't get picked up. And then, you know, obviously, everybody knows what happens after that. It's in the back of the net. And they've got a point where, where they didn't deserve anything from that game, you know, and it's frustrating to say the least. Well, my question on this, and it's been it's been bugging me all day, and I would love to know his stance on it, is players on posts. Now, Adam, you've been a lover of football for many years. I've been a lover of football for many years. We was always taught by certain people, whether it was in PE or at football, you have people on the post, whether it's near post or far post. Normally sort of as you sort of watch football and you get a better understanding, the goalkeepers normally want the near post free because that's their domain anyway. But they always want somebody far post. My issue, and this is why I don't... When the goal went in, I wasn't as angry about the decision with VAR or Harry Kane scoring. I was more upset with how we, how we acted from that corner. The fact that... James and Kulabai are behind Mendy. Mendy's only looking at the ball. He thinks he's got his bar post covered. He's trying. He's stayed on his line, which is another thing I think if he did actually go out and punch the bloody ball, we, none of this would have happened. But James comes off the line. And Kulabai is nowhere near trying to sort of defend it anyway. But they're both near the far post. And the ball's not exactly a bullet header. It trickles. If James is on the far post, there's no goal. If Kulabai is near the far post, that ball does not go in. I was stunned when I saw it back a few times last night and I saw the positioning of James and Kulabai to where Mendy was. I was stunned that none of them covered that back post. And I for the life of me, still don't know why. Why does certain managers don't have people on posts? I do not know. 
I think you've only got to look at the, I saw today as well, you know, the West Ham, not Forest game, I'm not sure if you saw that, but obviously they, they you know, cleared one off the line, didn't they, right at the end of the game to, to obviously to win 1-0. So it's obviously proven that, you know, it's like you say, it's almost basics, isn't it? But uh, is it the, well, you would guess, obviously, like you say, he's not instructing them to cover the post on corners, but is that a Mendy thing that he doesn't want? I, who knows? But it does seem oh, very odd. Fault here? Is it Mendy? Is it players that, are then marking zonally? Should they think automatically, if no one's in my space, should I actually cover the far post? Or is it too cool? Now, I'm not advocating I want to call out by this comment, but I think too cool is at fault because there's been a few times where we've defended set plays, where we've defended corners, and there's people that are marking zonally, which is fine. There's another difference between zonal and man marking. We'll probably talk about for a good month about it. But have someone on the near post for crying out loud. It's simple, basic defending. I think the especially... amount of goals that come in that are slash trickling in the far post because they know the goalkeeper can't get to it in time. Fuck, I mean... Especially when it's like the 96th minute and you two yes. one up, you know, even yes. more so like that. That's, you know. Or have a row of people on the bloody yeah. goal. Have a row of people on the goal line. You've only got to keep it out for another 30 seconds. You've yes. got three points and, you know, it's just a bit of a, a no brainer, really, isn't it? It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't seem to add up. As to who's at fault, obviously, yeah, that's a difficult one. You could say probably it's a bit of a collective responsibility there, even if. You, you know, you, you've got obviously leaders. We're going back to before. You've got your leaders on the pitch. You know, you would think you, you should like. You know, you've got people like Thiago Silva, who's obviously been there, done that, won everything. Obviously, apart from the European Cup, according to Jamie Redknapp. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like someone like that, would, or, you know, would just be. You've just got one task to do, and you just to, to finish the game. You know, so whatever it takes to yes. keep that ball out of the net, you do it. You know. Um, but it does seem a bit odd just to not stick someone on there, like you say. And maybe if there, if there was, obviously, that goal doesn't go in. Um, but yeah, it's two things, isn't it, really? We can obviously talk when we've talked about the decision, which is appalling. But we can only, you can only, like, you know, they, they say you can only play what's put in front of you. But we can only play the game as the referee's done that decision. We can't change that. So we've got to then deal with that situation. And, and we haven't as well. So, mm. um, you know, there's a, a bit of an onus on us. Just purely looking at it from the you know the the play, if you like, that we you know we shouldn't be conceding that goal um, then at all. Now there was a stat that came out on Sky yesterday that last season we only won nine home games out of out of nineteen. Which, if you compare that to other seasons, that's pretty crap. You know, we would drop points against teams that you wouldn't expect Chelsea to drop points to and especially in injury time a game against Brighton over the Christmas period we were 1-0 up we were playing poor for 90 minutes and then we draw one all we were 2-0 up against Wolves Wolves come back to 2-2 last minute this happens again yesterday against Tottenham do you think there's a bigger underlying issue here about we can't protect a lead is this a too cool thing? Is it how he sets his team up? Or is it a mental thing with the players, do you think? Because there's been too many dropped points at home. Bearing in mind, again, the standard is up there where Man City and Liverpool are. We're trying to reach it. They don't concede late in 96th, 97th minute to sloppy goals. They don't. Simple as. 
That's yeah. That's where it. do you see? Where do you see sort of that improving? Because for me, that should have been improved in the summer. If he knew there was issues with that, with drop dropping points. I mean, even against Brentford, when we got spanked four one, and Ericsson had the game of his life, and we couldn't deal with him. We would drop points against sides like that. Burnley at home as well last season. And it seems Tuchel hasn't changed a thing in terms of defensive shape from either set pieces or how they would be when the other team's got the ball. We just look the same. And that concerns me, bearing in mind he's had a whole summer. We're trying to close the gap between Man City and Liverpool because of the fact they've got strikers and we haven't. That worries me. I think, yeah, you, you're not like, there's been a couple of other people who sort of said to me, like, um, he seems sometimes slow to, you know, and don't you wrong, I don't want to be like coming across that, like, we're, we're bashing him because we're, we're not, you know, obviously he's like, what he's done for Chelsea is, is magnificent and he's a fantastic manager, but sometimes he's slightly slow to react to maybe changes that happen in the game. Like, you know, bringing on subs and stuff, you think sometimes, okay, look at last week, we brought Brozier on like for 10 minutes at the end, but we've got five subs now. So, so sort of maybe utilize them a bit more. You know, people are getting tired as first, second game in the season. Bring someone else on, you know, who's fresh legs, who can maybe is a bit more, going to be a bit more switched on or a bit more engaged for that last 15, 20 minutes of the, of the match. If people have run themselves, you know, to, to into the ground, why keep sort of persisting? With the with the same, you know, utilize the squad that we've got. You know, I'm not saying that we've got a um, a very very deep squad, but we've also got you know some good players who sat on the you know sit on the bench as well. Um, well, he 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 made four subs yesterday. Conor Gallagher, we already talked about. Aspilicueta came on for Jorginho. Brozier came on in the 90th minute. Why is he only, why is he coming on in the 90th minute? I have no idea. And Pulisic came on for Sterling in the 85th. He still had maybe one more sub he could have used to kill time, Mm -hmm. which is what the best managers do. Tuchel did it last week against Everton. Yeah. Yeah, and and like at Everton, you know, he came on for Brozier. He came on for 10, was about 10, 12 minutes at Everton. Um, And I thought Brozier was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Lots of things. He was was a runner. He was... Working really hard. Yeah. Yeah. But... Put Chalabar on. Put Chilwell on. Just wind yeah. the clock down. Yes, the referee might add on, but then... Probably not the full time that you can waste, no, you know. You can, uh, but no. knowing, obviously, Anthony Taylor, we probably would have got, like, you oh, know, no, as soon as... would have been another three minutes, yeah. There would have been, <laughs> he, been ten minutes of injury time, but... He was soon to get the yellow card out for Mendy, weren't he? Like, for time wasting, like, really early on in the oh, game. Oh, he was but... quick with that, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. But I it mean, never happens speak... anywhere else, does it? Like that. Speaking of cards being dished out, we'll talk about the main event, which was nearly the... Uh, it was it was nearly the, the uh, post-match um, angle. Tuchel versus Conte. Now, I was asked by another podcast to come on and uh, ask to get my view on what happened between Tuchel and Conte after the match. And a lot of people have had their say. Me, just very quickly, Adam, and I'll I'll get your say as well. I didn't see nothing wrong with it, to be honest. I really didn't. I, you know, whether, okay, Conte didn't really want to shake his hands. You can tell that. He just wanted to go towards his own supporters and thank them for turning up because normally Tottenham get battered everywhere they go. And Tuchel weren't happy with it. He said, 
look at me when I'm shaking your hands, but there was nearly some fisticuffs. Then you'd have 20, 30 people surrounding them, like bees to honey, and then Sky and Talk Sport and all the other bloody media companies try and make too much of it, saying that there's too much passion there, that need that needed to be stopped. You know, it's not a good portrayal of the game and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Me, personally, I saw nothing wrong with it. I saw two managers that are winners. They want to win. They know that each other's a rival because they're trying to get to the standard, which is Man City and Liverpool. And, obviously, they ruffled each other's feathers by maybe over-celebrating goals. Obviously, you didn't have a great view of it because I can imagine where you was in the shed lower. It wasn't probably the perfect sort of advantage point to look at but what was your point of view looking at it at the time and watching it back i think you want to see that you want to see like passion for your manager don't you you know if he walks off like laughing after we've just conceded in the you know in the last minute to draw then there's something obviously not quite right so to show that he's you know really like obviously Bought into the, you know, bought into the to the club and and feels a connection with the it. DNA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And obviously he knew how big a game that was to to um you know to the, for the fans as well to win. Um and yeah, I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. Obviously, like Conte, like it's a gentleman. You know, at the end of the day, when you shake someone's hand, you you know, whatever the game is finished. I know the emotions are running high, but managers always shake hands don't they apart from you know maybe the odd one or two haven't over the years but you know it's like certain a gentleman yeah. <laughs> but it's like a gentleman's thing to do at the end of the yeah. game isn't it you go over and shake hands and, and, and you know like sort of that's it and that's the end of it you know and he didn't have to give him a hug did he but if he could just have looked him in the eye shook his hand and walked off then that would have been the no, end of it but expecting them to hug and exchange no, exactly. like you might do on a date or whatever but no. you would still expect a little bit of respect exactly. I had no issues I had no issues with Conte celebrating the goals because that's Conte I, had, yeah. I again Conte did that with us and he was and he pissed off Mourinho by doing it yeah, well, he was in the um, East Lower when he was a couple of times when we'd scored. He was in there with the fans almost, you know. Yes, Conte so... when he's and, and again, like if he's for you, then as in your team, then that's what you love to see, that's don't what you? You, want. you know, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Tuchel, yeah. Tuchel done the same thing the other, you know, yesterday by running down the touchline, a la Jose. Everyone <laughs> seems to copy Jose as a manager. I wonder why. But anyway, but both of them got a red card because of. Alleged Argy Barge. I mean, come on. It's, it's a, as Graham Souness would say, it's a, it's, it's a man's game, but it was two men that were pissed off. You know, what else would you expect? You know, I'm, I'm hoping the red cards are rescinded and both managers are in their respective dugouts this weekend. We've got Leeds United away, which will be an interesting one. And I think Spurs have got Wolves on Saturday. Um, you know, you just, Made the point, Adam. That's what you want from your managers. Yeah. It's the difference between passion and, you know, people go over excitement. Tuchel has shown in the the tenure that he has been with us that he's not somebody that's going to lie down and let his belly and bollocks get tickled by other people. And you can just see the difference in the mindset of clubs. And... I don't listen to talk sport anymore because they've changed the setup and you've now got Jamie O'Hara there as a predominant pundit. Why? I don't know. Cause he talks a lot of shit, but anyway, 
that you, there's a difference between a team like ours and a team like Tottenham. Tottenham, it doesn't matter about their. Tra- I've been to their training ground on on other business, and it's a fabulous training ground. I've been to their ground as a Chelsea away supporter as well. It's a good ground. They will not win any major trophies for the next ten years, and I know why, because they still have a small club mentality. You might not have seen it because you might have even been leaving the ground. I know other people was, but I had it on Sky. I muted it because I didn't really want to hear what the pundits had to say. But you saw the Spurs fans, sorry, the Spurs players and the England captain celebrating with the fans like they've won the league. Keith only got to hear, listen to his interview, haven't you? And he said, uh, you know, great to score a last minute winner. Obviously, that's how they treat it, don't they? That, that that's yes. like a win for them, you know. It's like, uh, but like you say, that that's that, that is just a different mentality, isn't it? You're even brought in Chelsea DNA is like it's, it's to win, you know. Like that's what matters. Like to win, it's the three points, it's the trophies. Not like, okay, it's great to score a last minute goal. Of course, it is. Like we'd love to do it at their place and win, but to to come back from a draw, you don't celebrate it like you've won the Champions League and make oh. a DVD about it that will be coming oh. out next week, probably. Oh God, my God, could you imagine? They're they're, they're probably sorting out the discs now about bloody, <laughs> you know, oh how we won that battle. I mean, come on, it's a load of bollocks, but. I just thought it was very... It just showed the difference. Chelsea were pissed off because... It's not because they dropped two points. It's because they didn't beat shit. You know, yeah, they knew they were there for the taking. We did not beat a Spurs side who people feared before the game started that Spurs might roll us over. And because of how Spurs have played and what they've done in the summer transfer window, we made them look like Tottenham. We made them look ordinary. It's happened again as well. It's happened again as Yeah, we've been the champions of Europe. They've been the champions of Tottenham. It's nothing. And the fact that you had Spurs players, if I was a Chelsea player and I saw that, I would pity them. Yeah, yeah, because it's like... I would really pity them. Because they celebrated like that. They celebrated that like they won the league. And that's, that's sad. You can just tell, like, if you if you think you if you've hit a peak by doing that, then to then go on and and you know get success, then it's it's not going to happen, is it? Because it's already like that's how they're treating it, you know. Like in that in that moment, it's like uh, for them like a big massive deal um, to to you know to come there and get a point. Um, Do but you I think remember it's... Chelsea doing that a last minute equaliser, whether it's away or home, and then they would act like that? I mean. People, I did speak. To, I did speak about this to a couple of Tottenham fans, and then they started saying, "Oh, you did that when we we played you and Leicester won the league." There was a difference. There was a title yeah, on the line. We stopped them winning the league. So. We stopped <laughs> them. We stopped them from potentially winning the league because then it was Leicester's, and it was in May. We was having a shit season, and we were two. There was a difference. Was we were two nil down, and it looked like there was no hope in sight that we was going to get anything from that game. We actually won That's... that game, didn't we, anyway? Three, no, two, no, we, we, three, two? we came 2-0 down. 2-0 down, it was 2-2. Two, 2-2 two. Two, two at the end. Yeah. For some reason, I had in my head that Hazard scored a goal and it was 3-2, but I, yeah, it was, no, it was obviously 2-2. No, Cahill, Cahill scored. It was both, both goals were done in the shed. Cahill scored sort of in the late, uh, sorry, the early stages of the second half, and then Hazard scored that beauty and all hell broke loose and... I was like, <laughs> people started to try and poke Costa's eye out. And again, the referee didn't do anything on that game. I wonder why. But 
I'm going to say, if they thought yesterday was um, like over the top, then they should remember that match, the way the Tottenham players, um, you know, conduct themselves on that day. Yes. Stamping on people and, and um, other things. Yes. So, as a sort of final review, just to sort of close this up, Adam, because you know, we could be talking about we could be talking for hours about this particular game, but a lot of people were concerned with how we would play or how we would get on with Tottenham. Based on what you saw, and I know it's early days, we're only in August. Do you believe we will finish above Tottenham this season based on just what you saw for ninety minutes? Yeah, I think I think we will. I think yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's still, you know, there's still a lot of improvements to be had there, and I think you can take a lot of sort of um, heart, if you like, from look at the difference last week to this week. You know, the performance at Everton to, to yesterday was, I thought, sort of, you know, big improvement on that. Um, but yeah, I think even if they do get ahead of us, they'll bottle it towards the end of the season anyway. So, oh, um, they're top think... They always bottle yeah. it. My, oh my god, they could they could have start a chain of bottles. Just say we're bottlers, but. We are, we're definitely, you know, realistically, it's going to. Be, I think it's going to be third, isn't it? You know, we're still a little way apart from from Man um, Man City and Liverpool. Yes, unfortunately. Um, well, but they have we a can, striker. There's a difference. Well, yeah, yeah. We've just got to keep working on it, and hopefully, we can actually find someone who can score, say, twenty five ish goals a season. And I did say, I, I did, I did uh, message a few people with this, and I even did put it on. Um, a sort of a group chat and I even has I've even said this today to people who I work with and things there could be a lot worse we could be Man United <laughs> yeah, There's, yeah, yeah. It, it could be worse yes to- we didn't beat Tottenham yes Tottenham are celebrating like they've won the league but at least we're not bottom and all them people that thought Pogba was the problem hmm Anyway, so it goes a lot deeper than that. It goes a hell of a lot deeper than that. You just have to look at the ownership and <laughs> possible players, but and mate and their possible captain. But thank you everyone for joining us here on the Blue Day podcast this week, Adam. Before we go, for those that uh, are interested in joining your particular supporters group that are from the area, plug your supporters group for us. You've got about a minute. Yeah, so we're obviously the Eastern Blues, based up in Norfolk and Suffolk. If you want to sort of join us and come along to some games and uh, meet up with us all, just um, go on our website, easternblues.co.uk, and you can get all the information on there or social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just um, search us and drop us a message. And you can find us as well on Instagram at the Blue Day Podcast. And also, Adam, I don't know whether you are aware of this, we're back on Twitter. We have got our Twitter account finally sorted. We are at the Blue Day Pod. Don't take, don't put the cast in. We are at the Blue Day Pod. Find us on Twitter. We're uploading all our episodes that we've done with ex-players, with certain videos as well of me over-celebrating, but hey, I'm a fan, so I can get away with it, of goals. And find us on there as well. Find us on Facebook at the Blue Day Podcast. And thank you again for joining us this week. Next week, we're hopefully going to review a Chelsea win away against Leeds United, which certain certain host of a podcast is going to but we'll be talking about that more next week but I've been Keith Lawrence thank you to my guest Adam stay safe and carefree
Sports Social Podcast Network. Let me give you a big Labor Day surprise. Most people think if we all exercise the same and eat the same, we'd all look the same. And let me tell you why that's wrong. Your body is unique and your metabolism is unique. I'm Lacey Green, and I'm a super trainer at Body. That's B-O-D-I dot com. And you can't see me, but I don't look like your average personal trainer. I'm curvy, and I'm proud of it. So I created a program for beginners only on the Body app to show people like us how to get incredible results and be our version of happy and healthy. This isn't just workout videos. It's people like you and me. It's community. It's incredible trainers. It's easy to follow nutrition and mindset experts to help you reduce stress and just feel better. And you can get started with my new program called For Beginners Only. Now, here's the big surprise. If you go to body.com right now, that's B-O-D-I.com, not only can you get everything Body has to offer at 50% off with an annual membership, you'll also get an additional 20% off, but only during Labor Day weekend. Let's do this together. Go to body.com. That's body with an I.com.